0: I to get into today, but let me go ahead and do a disclaimer. (laughs) I should have done this at 9 a.m. I shouldn't. uh, You're probably going to get ticked off at at me at some point in today's message. I'm probably going to make you mad uh, because, you know, it hurts when idols start getting ripped out of your heart. It's not fun. It's kind of painful. So, but I need you to stick with me because we're going to close this series out, this detox, with this message I believe God has for us today. But let me open up also with a confession. I hate snakes. Is it echoing out there because it's echoing up here? If we could get Manny or somebody who's supposed to be in the sound booth to fix this, that would be great. I hate snakes. I've never met a snake that I did not not like. You hear me? Uh, I, I'm not one of those if I see a snake crossing the road. I play the little game of try to run over its head. That's the game I play. You know, it's like Frogger, but with snakes. Uh, some of y'all remember Frogger. Uh, I do not like snakes at all. Uh, I remember when we did HVAC and I would have to crawl under a house. Uh, well, if, if I spotted a snake skin... Before I crawled into that house or while I was under there, well, my antennas were on like this. I'm looking. It, it, if something moved, I hurt myself more trying to get out of under the house than if the snake had actually been there. I do not do not care of snakes. When, when, in fact, when we first started this church here, Mom and Dad, we were a pretty much the only Pentecostal church in this area. So the rumor was they handled snakes. I didn't deny that, <laughs> which made my mom and dad really not happy. In fact, when friends would come and visit the church, we had this hole in the stage for, for dramas that we would cover up, and I would bring, hey, 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 it's he where we keep snakes. snakes. We didn't. We never handled snakes. Uh, I do not like snakes. Now, I think some of that fear came, though, from my Aunt Christine Telling me this story when I was a little boy. We would go down and spend the summer. A lot of times with my Aunt Christine down in Pensacola, she would take us camping. We would dig for worms. We would fish. And when she was up here, she would take us camping. Now, I'm out of that stage. I do not enjoy camping at all. Uh, I'm not one of those that enjoys going out and pretending that I'm homeless for two or three days. It's just not part of my DNA. (laughs) So I don't enjoy it. But back then she would. And she would tell us this story like eight or nine years old about this kid that was out digging for worms to get get ready to go fishing. And he came across what he thought was the mother load of earthworms. And I mean, he is. The difference was these worms were biting. And so... Come to find out these were not worms at all. They were baby copperheads. And the moral of this story was this. So, listen, I don't know if the story was ever true because she would tell us the kid died. uh, And, I mean, it was ugly. And I don't know, but I I guarantee when I went out digging for worms, I examined those worms pretty good. Uh, And and so, but the moral of the story was this. You can reach for something or grab hold of something that you're assuming it's not dangerous at all, but because you didn't examine it further, it can end up being deadly to you, and so as we close out this detox series, I want to close out with a message called the great seduction. The great seduction, parents, let me go in and ease your minds. We're not going to talk about sex, so just we're not going to do that, so because here's what seduction, the, the actual de- definition is. To persuade to disobedience, to lead us astray, usually by false, false, by persuasion or false promises. I think that's what happens to us. In their walk with God and as a church in whole, we get seduced uh, either by persuasion or promises of something more uh, into picking up something that at first glance we think it's harmless, we think it's just the normal, but it ends up being deadly because we did not examine it further. Exodus 20, um, you, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. If you're, if you're not, as word, Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God. God pretty much etches out these 10 things to Moses, sends him back down to the people. Here's one of the things that's included in those 10 commandments. Exodus 20. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in heaven or on earth or in the sea. I almost call this message the American idol but let, let me ask a question any, any self-proclaimed uh idolaters in here today you say i'm i'm a i'm an idol worshiper Anybody? i, I didn't think we would now it wouldn't surprise me if one or two of you raised your hand uh because that's the honesty we have but i, I didn't figure we'd have anybody because we would never classify ourselves as idolaters that's the one that worships an idol. We, we don't put up an image. We don't put up an idol that we bow to every day or pray to. And while we would never consider ourselves idol worshipers, here's what I know about every person in this room, those watching online. You are a worshiper. That's not a question. What you worship is the question. Every, it, 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 every time like, Kelly, I'm, I'm just not a worshiper. Oh, yeah, you are. It's just, what are you worshiping? Because we're all created to be worshipers. In fact, Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, said this, anthropologists have noted that worship is a universal urge hardwired by God into the very fabric of our being, a built-in need to connect with God. Worship is as natural as eating or breathing. In other words, we are created to worship. It has been hardwired into our DNA. But then he says this, if we fail to worship God, we will always find a substitute. If our souls don't connect with God, if somewhere along this journey, we don't get that connection with God, something will make that connection with our souls. We will worship something. And, and the problem is what we fall into is we begin to worship a counterfeit, something that promises to meet our needs, something that promises to satisfy. And while at first glance it seems harmless, it has the potential to destroy our soul. And, and there are those in this room you're watching online. Hey, he, that, I'm, here's the thing, guys. Whatever you try to satisfy yourself with, whatever you feel, it, it, it may satisfy for a season. Can, can we be honest? The, you know, the church has been too long, man, sin. I remember growing up hearing these testimonies. Man, when I was in the world, sin just wasn't fun. And I'm thinking, well, you didn't do it right. <laughs> because the Bible says sin's fun, but it only lasts for a season. It's It's fun. And and what happens, we get seduced into these things and we're trying to satisfy and fill this void. We're trying to satisfy this connection and we we end up empty because it's not going to satisfy. That's why you see people that look like they've got it all together. That's why you see famous people who you think they should never ever be able to complain and they end up killing themselves. Because inside, they try to fill it with everything and anything. And it's satisfied for a season. Come on. Y'all know that person that, I didn't even say this at, at 9 a.m. Y'all know that person, that friend that cannot be without a boyfriend or girlfriend? I mean, the moment they break up with the love of their life, or that break, and they, they suffer a heartbreak for a day or two, and then they're on to the next one. Because they're trying to feel something that was only meant to be filled by God. And that's what Rick Warren was saying. He said, if you try to fill that void with anything but God, it's a counterfeit and it will always leave you wanting. I'm telling you guys, the things we try to fill those voids with, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's education or career, we have been uh, seduced into thinking these things will satisfy, but they will never satisfy the soul that was created to be satisfied by God alone. Never. Look at Deuteronomy 4, 16 through 19. He says, Do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man, a woman, animal on the ground, bird in the sky, a small animal that scourges along the ground, fish in the deepest sea. And when you look up into the sky, you see the sun, the moon, the stars, everything in the heaven. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. Don't buy the lie that they'll satisfy you. Don't buy the lie that they can fill the void. Don't be seduced into worshiping them. Most of us, aren't going to go out and build an altar. Let's just be real. And and we're not going to have uh, Billy Bass on the wall that we pray to every day. And then it sings the worship song to us back as it flips. That's not going to happen. Well, we're not going to bow down to the stars and, 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 and all that most, but what happens is we'll get led astray by persuasion or false promises into putting things, even good things, above God. And we don't recognize it because to us, it's just a hobby. It's just our favorite sports team. It's just what we like to do. I, I remember hearing the story of this missionary that had, was over visiting India. He had heard about the false gods and the idols and, and the worship, and he, he came across this small village where there was an older lady that was actually killing a chicken draining the blood and sacrificing it to this, this God there. And he thought, I cannot, I, I'm getting to see this fir- firsthand. I'm getting to witness. So he started a conversation with this lady. And, uh, you know, going to find out why, you know, she was worshiping this false idol this, to him, this false God, and, and, and find out she'd been to America. She'd been to the United States. And he's like, oh, wh- what would you think about the United States? And she said, I, this is what she said, I hated it with all my heart. It was the most disgusting place I've ever been. I will never go back to that country again. And he's like, what did you not like about it? Look what she said. It was the most idolatrous nation on the planet. And she said, you worship stupid idols. And the missionary said, I'm looking at the dead chicken, the blood, and the altar and I'm like what what are you talking about and so he said what do you mean this is her words she said let me be honest most of you are overweight why because you bow to the God of food you talk about it, you dream about it, you consume by it. You've got mega stores with aisles and aisles of food to make you fat. Every corner has multiple restaurants, and all you do is eat the things that make you fat. It's idolatry. And then she said, "Your whole sports thing. It's pathetic how you've got multi-million-dollar facilities, and then you fat people dress up in somebody else's uniforms, paint your faces, and go cheer." And then she said, in your homes, you've got your personal altar of worship. You take this thing out, put it up on the wall, plug it in. You put all your chairs around it. You align your whole house and the family gathers around it to watch it for hours on end. Hmm. Yeah, we laugh about the other. Like, hey, don't get don't talk about my TV. Uh, <laughs> I cost enough. Listen, that's that's my 4K idol. Uh, (laughs) The missionary said, he said, I saw her point. He said, but what was disturbing to me is it was easy for her to see our idolatry, but she could not see her own. This is not the way it is. We can see it in other people. But it's very hard for us to see it in ourselves, and, and, I, and I know that's true because I know some of you. Man, I can feel you're getting defensive right now inside because you think, man, he's about to attack my—I I mean, my hobby. <laughs> but the enemy's subtle, guys. He seduces us, he tricks us, and without even realizing it, ha- it has happened, we are elevating things in our hearts above God. So how how do we get rid of these idols? How do we detox from these idols? Because if we're honest, none of us, as I, we said earlier, we, I, I worship idols. None of us want to admit it, but the fact is, we've got we worship something. We've got an idol. Everyone is. So what do we have to do? If you're taking notes, here is it's got to be your first step in this. Identify your idols. What is it? If you're going to get rid of it, you need to know what you're getting rid of, right? If you're going to attack it, let's find out what we're going to attack. So here's the question. What have you placed in your life above God? What have you given priority over God or the things of God? Look look at what Psalms 24, 3 and 4 says. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who has clean hands and a pure heart? Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol? Who's not lifted up his soul to an idol? What have you elevated above God? And I need you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying hobbies are bad. Listen, I've got hobbies. I like sports. I never, I'm a huge college uh, football fan. I'm not a basketball fan, but when March Madness hits, man, I'm watching basketball. I'm watching yesterday, Tennessee Alabama game. I thought, we're going to beat Alabama at something, (laughs) and we didn't, but man, we look good. So I'm not saying those things are bad. But what happens is we begin to elevate them and put them on a taller pedestal than what God is on. And we can try to justify it, rationalize it, why these things are, are not idols. Kelly, come on there. And we do that. We rationalize, we justify. So I want to give you three questions to ask yourself. And you've got to ask your, you've got to answer these honestly. I want to give you three questions. And as uh, Jeff Foxworthy says, you might be a redneck. Well, this might be an idol. <laughs> Ask yourself here's the first question How or where do you spend your time? What takes up the majority of your time? That PlayStation 5? Come on, spend four or five, six hours on there online playing and talking to people you don't even know and you can't take five minutes to talk to God. Dang, Kelly, that's hard. It is hard because I played PlayStation 5 and I just spent a couple hours on it yesterday. So I'm preaching to me too. What takes the majority of your time though? Look at it. What what is it? Is it a sport? Is it a hobby? Is it work? Is it where, what, what, what is all your time getting wrapped up in? The second thing is this, how or where do you spend your money? Anybody remember checkbooks? My dad would say this, you want to know what you worship or what's most important to you? Look at your checkbook. Where's all your money going? Now, a more current version would say, look at your online bank statement. Where does all your money go? Uh, are you spending a lot of money on that certain area? And, and then whatever's left over, well, it goes to God. I knew, see, I thought 11 a.m., I may get a hallelujah amen at 11 when I did at night, but no. So we're just going to wait all out. We're just going to go, I'm not expecting a whole lot of amens or hallelujahs, so let's just go ahead, and I'm I'm just under the assumption I'm going to make everybody mad here today, but if you love God, you have to forgive me, so let's go on with it. (laughs) The third question, what direction do your conversations drift toward? See, here's the truth. Your conversations always drift toward what's most important to you. Me, me and Denise had, had dinner with Chaz and Chris, Kristen uh, Thursday night, I think it was, and I found out, man, some of the groups that Chaz likes. Oh, well, I'm a music guy, and I mean, for 30, 40 minutes, that's what me and him talked about. We were talking about the different concerts. My respect level went so high for When I found out he saw the original Led Zeppelin in concert, man, I'm like, hmm, I, I had to tear the idol down. I was like, I respected him more. You know, and because, and, and because whatever's most important to you, you begin to talk about those things. Where's that conversation drifting? Some of them, it's their home. They worship their home. I think you should have a nice home. But how many know that person? That's, all. oh, oh this, this needs to go right here. This should go right here. Oh, I, I, can, I can imagine it right now. Listen, ladies, give your husband a break. Find out where you want that stinking couch and leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. One brave man. One brave man, but they obsess over the house or their image. Their image. They're constantly, hey, hey, what, what's what's the latest fashion? What what, what how do I look good in this? Or what's going on? What type of music? What what's the latest group? Children. I've seen a lot of parents that elevate their children, not only above their spouse, but above God. Come on now. Hobbies. They talk. That's all they can talk about. Social media presence. I mean, they spend all their time trying to trying to find a way to get more likes. Or the phone. Come on. Don't leave. You may say you don't worship anything else, but look at your screen time on that phone, and see what it says. I Minda mean, Denise and I were out a few weeks ago and, and eating, and we looked over at this table that had four or five people there. Actual living people sitting there. Every one of them. Like that. No conversation. And and my kids will tell you, uh, uh, Casey's family will tell you, anybody that comes to our house will tell you, when it's dinner time and we sit down to eat, don't bring your table or don't bring your phone to the table. (laughs) Don't bring your table either. We don't have room. Don't bring your phone. Because I'll say, hey, 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 put that thing away. Uh, because this is a time for us. We, we're not going to look at our phone. But a lot of people, man, that, that's the first thing they look at when they get up in the morning, and it's the last thing they look at before they go to bed. Some of them in pursuit of wealth and success. What, what about you, Kelly? What's your idol? That's none of you all stinking business. Now, I'll tell you one of my idols. I've gotten a lot better at it, but there are still days it pops up. It's a people's opinions of me. I want to be liked. Let's be honest. Come on. I, I want to be liked. I want to be that guy that says, oh, that's the coolest pastor in the world. That guy's, I mean, I want I that. My dad is the best at what well, they say that about me all the time. But I want, I, I want to be liked by people. But here's what I'm discovering. For me to fulfill my calling in life, some people aren't going to like me. They're just not. I'm not called, I, I'm not called to, 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 to be liked by, by others. I'm not called to live for your approval, for social media's approval, for people's approval. I'm not called to live for likes. I'm called to live for the approval of God, period, <laughs> period. So what's yours? Take an inventory. What is that thing you've elevated above God? What is that you've, you may have not even recognized it until we started breaking down those questions. You're like, eh, maybe. Could be an idol. And then once you identify it, the next step is, listen, this is not blind, mind-blowing stuff. It's simple, but I think we need to be reminded. You tear it down. Tear the idol down. I l- Hear me. I didn't say try to manage it. Are you hearing me? try to control it better, try to tolerate it, maybe set it aside for another day. No, 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 tear it down. Tear it down. In Judges 6, um, God's people again have lost their minds they're out doing everything evil in the sight of God. God gets tired of it. He says, enough is enough. He lets them fall into the rule of the Midianites for seven years. After seven years, they start calling out to God. I don't know why it took them seven years. Listen, seven minutes after I've done something stupid, I'm like, God, please forgive me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, but seven years, God says, okay, I'm going to send you Gideon. Here Gideon comes on the scene. And look what God tells Gideon to do in Judges chapter 6. That same night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Now does it sound like God wanted to get him, say, Gideon, uh, this is your dad's. There's some sentimental value here kind of just take it apart piece by piece where if he wants to use it later, if we want to bring it back, we can, and set it over here. No, he says, tear it down. I'm convinced one of the biggest problems in the church today, in a lot of churches, is that they're worshiping at the idol of tradition. And there are some churches you can walk in. To, and you will feel like you've walked into 1970 all over again because nothing has changed ever. Heard, heard uh, Bill Johnson say something this past week at the gym, man, and, and I'm, I'm on the treadmill, and he says this, and I, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I'm taking notes. I, okay, i got to stop. I'm taking notes. And he said this. He said, I wonder how many Isaacs have died because someone heard from God but didn't continue listening. To God. He said, Aren't don't you know Isaac's glad that Abraham, his dad, continued listening to God? And I think that's happened to a lot of Christians in a lot of churches. They heard God say this one thing 15, 20 years ago, and they started doing that, and they they didn't continue to listen to God, and they're wondering why everything's falling apart. It's called between then and now, God has still been speaking, but you're still living in 1985. Come on, are you hearing me? Tear it down. Tear it down. One of my biggest concerns is some of you will leave here today and you'll think, Kelly, it's, it's my one thing that I've got. It's the one thing. I don't have a lot of pleasures in life, Kelly. <laughs> it's my one thing. And you'll allow the need for that one thing to rob you of what God wants to do. Let's wait out. Some of you, you're idle. Oh, man, it's going to be tough. In fact, the next two are going to be really tough. Some of your kids' sports have become an idol to you. And you've elevated that above God. It's taken priority over God and his things. I never forget, two or three years ago, Denise and I were talking. And I think she's my cousin. I I, I have so many cousins. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters. I don't even know who's my cousin. Uh, and we were talking to her, and and she said, Oh man, we'd love to be at church this week, but you know, we gotta take our eight, nine year old son up to New York for some ball tournament, and it was gonna cost him like two grand. In my mind, I'm thinking, are you stupid? Two thousand what I could do with two thousand dollars. And 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 but I was like, Oh that's great but we walk I'm like Man, people have elevated things so far above God. They, they throw their money into their kid's sports. They throw their time into their kid's sport. And listen, I'm not against that because my dad coached us growing up. I mean, from t-ball to, to pony league. Is pony league even a thing anymore? But we, it was growing up in his mind. And I mean, coached us in all those balls. But one thing he made clear, hey, on Sundays and Wednesdays, you're at church. It doesn't matter. And I, I've told this story before. When we first moved back home and Zion was playing football over uh, for Spring City Middle, and they said, well, we've got practice on, on, on Wednesday afternoons, Wednesday evenings. Zion doesn't. Well, did Zion get mad at you? I don't care if Zion got mad at me. My job as a parent is not to be his best friend at that age. It's to set him on the, and give him a firm foundation of what's important in life. And let's be honest, Zion had no career in pro football. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped out at high school, so he went to soccer. Let's be honest. He had no career in soccer. <laughs> he was good, but my wife was taking it for her baby boy. Here's the thing. Even if he had been the best, had been a five-star recruit, I want the foundation set in him. God comes first before sports, before relationships, for career, even God comes first. Oh, let's wait on Uh, Hobbies. Man. I'm 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 going to. Because... We've already taken it to the offering, right? Okay. Uh, So so let's go. I know people that when hunting season opens, you don't see them for three or four months. Did that hurt Harvey? (laughs) Harvey's not one of them. But come on. You don't see them for three or four months. Nothing wrong with hunting. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But when we begin to elevate them and place them in priority above God and His things, they are an idol, and we have got to tear them down. What about your job or your career? Well, Kelly, man, I'm just I'm putting everything I got into it right now for my family. I want to be able to give my kids everything I didn't have. I want to be able. To, well, that, that's great, but you working seventy and eighty hours a week, somebody else is raising your kid. You're working and pouring everything into that job and that career, and somebody else is telling your wife how good they look on social media. Come on. Somebody else is complimenting your husband. Come on. I went to the gym the other day. It feels good. This is a compliment. Don't, it don't matter where it comes from. I was at the gym, and, and this this older lady She said, I've been seeing you, and you've been killing at the gym. I was like, yes, I have. (laughs) Get my Ric Flair on (laughs) And then even one of the guys, Curtis, my friend, he said, man, you are looking good. I'm like, hey. You know? Because you want to hear that. And I'm telling you, when we're pouring all our energy into other areas, instead of putting them in our families, in our wives, and our husbands, in our children, somebody else is going to speak into their lives. We've got to watch what we elevate. What about material things? It doesn't matter that you can't live on what you make. You just go out and borrow more or get a new credit card. Because that's going to make you happy. That new car, that new rifle, that new purse, new pair of shoes. Listen, I'm preaching to me. My wife told me the other day, Kelly, you've got more shoes than I do. (laughs) I do. I'm not ashamed of that. And she says, we got to clean out your closet because I can't fit anything else. And I said, you're right. I got to make room for more stuff. But it is what will go out of our way because we think that's going to make us happy. And there's nothing in and of itself wrong with these things and those things, but we have been seduced in a place that we are giving them more time, more energy, more money than we are God, the one who died for us. And they'll always leave us feeling empty. One of the saddest stories in the Bible, I think, is found in Mark 10. This young, wealthy man comes to Jesus He's like, Master, teacher, tell me what I must do to to inherit eternal life. He's like, hey, keep the Ten Commandments. I'm nailing it, Jesus. I got it. And so Jesus looks at him, and he says this, Mark 10, 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then... Come and follow me. says, Jesus had genuine love for this man. Do you know that Jesus has genuine love for you? And when he reveals an idol in our lives and tells us to tear it down, it's not because he's mad at us. It's not because he's angry with us. It's not because he doesn't want good things for us. In fact, it's the opposite. It's because he wants the best for us. Here's how much Jesus loved this man. He loved him enough to tell him the truth. Here's what's happening. Yeah, you're keeping the Ten Commandments. That's great. But you're putting all your energy, all your effort, all your time into something that ultimately will not satisfy you. And here's what the Bible says. It says, the young man went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. Another way to read it is, the young man went away sad because he didn't want to tear down his idol. I wonder how many, how many Sundays people walk out of this place sad because a word was given, a message was taught, and God pricked their heart. God pinpointed some things, but they walk away sad because they had a lot of stuff, because they love their idols. They love that thing more than they love God. I've heard people preach and say, well, Jesus never really meant for the young man to sell everything that he had. Jesus would never ask him to do that. Jesus wouldn't ask us to do that. Here's what I have to say that. Jesus wouldn't ask us to do that or this young man to do that unless it was an idol in their life. Then Jesus will definitely ask you to do it. He's going to ask us to tear some things down, anything in our hearts or in their lives that, that we're elevating above God. So what is it for you? Search yourself. And then once we tear that down, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a new altar. See, it's not enough to tear down the old altar and just let it lay there. Because if you just lay it, let it lay there, it will be occupied by something sooner or later. You have to be intentional about what you're going to build to replace the old altar. In fact, here's what God told uh, 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 what's it, Gideon to do. Did I just do that? <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> he told him, to tear down your father's altar, altar. tear down the Asherah pole, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. In other words, now that you've torn this down, don't just leave it for something else to come in and replace it. Build a proper altar. Build one with a foundation that will support you. Build one with a foundation that your family will look back on and know, man, that is the solid crown. See, I I said at 9 a.m., listen, it's going to be great if at my funeral people say, man, he was funny, he was great looking, all the truthful things, that's great. Um, But more than those, I want my kids to say, man, my dad wasn't perfect, but he was in an endless pursuit after God. I watched my dad fall, but then I watched him get back up. I watched because I, I know what his foundation was. I'm telling you God, we've got to build a proper altar. One of the things I think to do this, we got to get our passion back for God. I think there needs to be a revival of hunger for God in, in the church. And followers of Jesus. We're, we're, we're just hungry for God. we're more. I'm telling you, I've prayed like I said, God, you know, make me hungrier for you than I am this pizza right now. I'm serious. When I'm struggling, when I, I'm trying to eat right, God, make me hungrier for you than I am this. I, uh, God, It's okay to be honest. God, you know what? Right now, I'm not feeling it. Can you change it in me? Can you make me hungry for the things that please you? I, I mean, I talk about a hunger like the psalmist had. Look at Psalms eighty-four too. If I can get Bob to come on up, look, look, look—the poetry, the poetic language. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. What about this one? Psalms forty-two, one and two. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you. He said, I, like that deer that's out there running around the woods, and it's been running, and now it's like, got, i got to get water, I'm going to die. i got to get water, I'm going to die. He, he says, I want to pant for you like that. I want to be that thirsty for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I mean, do you hear the desperation in their voices? My soul yearns. My heart and flesh cry out. Let's be honest. We don't use that kind of language when it comes to God or the house of God. We use it for other things. Man, I can't wait till hunting season opens up. Oh, I can't wait till football season opens. When spring training. I can't wait till the orange and white game. They don't really play a game, but at least I'm there in the stadium. Taking communion, hot dogs and Coke. (laughs) Man, I can't wait till this sale goes on. See, we'll talk about, we'll use that kind of language, but what about God? I I want us, church, to become a culture of people that says, I can't wait till Sunday morning gets here. I can't wait to go worship with, with my friends, with my family. I can't wait to get in that environment, man. It's been a tough week all week. I feel like I'm drained, but if I can just get there to the house of God, I know, man, God's presence is going to meet me there. I so thirst. My so thirst for God. I'm going to close out with this. Heard this story a few years back, and it's stayed with me says this, once upon a time there was a fish in the ocean. Someone got the fish, put the fish up in the sand, but the fish didn't look happy in the sand. So they built the fish a nice house, gave the fish a big wad of uh, cash. Gave the fish a big nice house and a big water cash. And asked the question Is the fish happy now? Fish still didn't look happy. Well, well, the fish isn't happy, so let's give the fish a corona with a line, not, not the disease. Corona with a little wedge, lime wedge in there. And maybe that'll make you maybe give him a play fish magazine. Take out the tail on that fish. So you got the fish there. It's in its new house. It's got a lot of cash. It's drinking, man. It's looking at naked fish. It's living it up. But the fish was not happy. You know why? Because the fish was never created. You can give him all these great things. You can give him all these nice things. But it's not going to be happy because that's not where the fish... Same with us. You can give us all these things. We can have a great job. We can go through girlfriends and boyfriends like that. We can have the money, the boat, the car, all that. But if we are not satisfied in God and living where we were created to live, none of it matters. None of it matters. Stand with me, course.